Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. In this episode, we meet with Mike Foote, a professional athlete for the North Face and race director of the Rut Mountain Races based in Missoula, Montana. Mike and I talk about his entrance into and early influences in the sport like UTMB, his relationship with the North Face, why Missoula is such a great place to live and train before focusing the bulk of the conversation on his experience as a race director and how he views and thinks about the sport's past, present, and future through that lens. I was particularly excited to have Mike on the pod because he is so fully immersed in our sport and thinks critically from so many different angles. As an athlete, business person, fan, activist, the list goes on. It is my hope that the growth and increasing sophistication of our sport allows for more people like Mike to devote their life's work to it. Anyways, let's get started. I really, really enjoyed this one. Welcome, Mike Foote. Mike Foote, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Good to be here, Finn. I got to say, by the way, before we get into this, you have one of the best running names of all time. It doesn't get much more specific than Foote. <laughs> you are not the first person to tell me this. Yeah, as a as somebody who worked in a running store as a shoe salesman for many years in my 20s, I, I got that feedback a lot as well. <laughs> I think that the the best place to start, because I don't personally know this story, is how did you get into ultra running? Yeah, you know, it's a circuitous path. I grew up in northeastern Ohio playing ball sports and not running at all or doing any sort of endurance activity. But through my, my undergrad and, and time in college, I bit by bit made my way out west and found trail running through, uh, you know, just I, I guess I began running and got into 5Ks, 10Ks, but quite quickly transitioned over to trail running just for fun, not with any competitive aspect or desire. And Bit by bit, started running more and more. I think I signed up for my first trail marathon back in 2002 or 2003 and just got the bug for doing long distance trail races. And at that same time, I, I moved up to Missoula, Montana, where I live now. And there's no lack of trails in this area or places to explore. And Initially, it was just a means to an end, a means to go see what's past that next ridge line or what's around the corner. And I just spent a lot of time going for long runs in Glacier National Park and, and all these beautiful places. And after a while, I decided it'd be a good idea to jump into an ultra uh, marathon. And you would appreciate this story, Finn, because I think you're wearing a Wasatch 100 t-shirt right now. And That's right. I was... Uh, I was living in Whitefish, Montana as a ski patroller in this like tiny 11 foot by 11 foot cabin. I'll never forget it. And I was surfing the internet one night and came across the Wasatch 100. And I'd been curious about ultra running at the time, but never run further than like a marathon distance event. And maybe I'd run an ultra without even knowing it just in the mountains someday, but hadn't thought much about it. Anyways, I came across the Wasatch 100 website somehow, and it was the day before the lottery closed for the event. And at the time, the Wasatch was like the biggest event in the country outside of Western States and maybe Hard Rock and all these big names were doing it year after year. And that idea of scarcity, it somehow just clicked in me. I'm like, well, I better sign up for this if it's if this you know opportunity to do it 
closes tomorrow. And so that night I signed up for the lottery and thought that I could, you know, wipe my hands of the idea of ever doing an ultra again. Cause I think at the time you had the 15% chance of getting in and um, lo and behold, <laughs> I got the, the confirmation that I was accepted into the race, you know, shortly thereafter. And yeah, I decided, oh man, I better learn how to run ultras if I'm going to run hundred miles this September. And I proceeded to jump into a 50 K and a 50 mile leading up to it. But yeah, the Wasatch 100 was the first ultra I'd ever signed up for. And that was the beginning of a, a whole new direction in life. Man, that is so cool. It's so funny. You mentioned Wasatch. I was just lamenting the fact that yeah, in the last five to six years, going to Europe has become all the craze. And of course, Wasatch is one of the first weeks in September. And that coincides with UTMB and all of this other late summer European stuff. And everyone just feels so compelled to go over there. And now Wasatch is almost this afterthought, despite only 10 years ago being one of the crown jewel 100s here in the Mountain West. So I don't know that I just kind of, I was just thinking about that, lamenting it and, and wishing that, uh, not wishing, but just thinking, I wonder when things are going to become local again, and especially American racers aren't going to be so enamored of going abroad. And they're just like, you know what, there's actually some really cool stuff in the backyard that we can tackle and celebrate and race and, and feel like, oh, there's good people here, good competition, the whole kit and caboodle. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And Wasatch is a great event and it's been around forever and it has such history. And yeah, I'd be curious to see that the pace of change in the sport is such that, yeah, and whatever is popular today outside of a couple events, a lot of events have come and gone or, or rose in popularity and then declined in the last 10 or 15 years. And it's really interesting to see. And I do think that the pendulum will swing back and there will be more of a energy around U.S. events again, as the sport and culture, the sport grows and the culture deepens around trail running and ultra running. And right now Europe's the shiny object and it makes sense. But the reality is the, the masses of trail runners that are coming into the sport aren't going over to Europe and they're still filling up a lot of these events. I mean, I can only assume, and you can correct me on this, but I assume Wasatch is still selling out. It is it's just not getting as much airtime or taking up as much oxygen in the commentary of the sport as a lot of other events is or other events are. Yeah. And, and I think, as you mentioned, the, the competitive side of an event is only one really small part of it. And there's so many reasons why you would have an event and why people would partake. And yeah, I think maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just the fan in me that's lamenting it then because all of the people that would be at the start line gunning for a win or a course record, they're just not partaking. They're going over, like I said, to UTMB and stuff. And so no, everything else is alive and well, and it's still a lottery. There's still maybe like a 30 or 40% chance you're going to get in. So it's still popular. It's just not like a darling of the, of the media, like it once was. Yeah. The year I did it, it, it was all the who's who's of men and women. I can't remember all the names now, but I just, I was a, I was a huge fanboy that year. And I think Jeff Rose was in his prime. Yes. I remember just seeing him and being like, oh my gosh, that's him in person, you know, and I just devoured all the trail runner mag articles leading in. Anyways, yeah, it's fun. And you'd love, I mean, again, being on the in in that area, I'm sure you'd love to see that energy right in your backyard. Um yeah. You, meant, you mentioned Jeff Rose, by the way, I'm debating doing this mini series in the podcast. It's like a, it's like the ESPN equivalent of where are they now? And he would be at the top of the list of like, what is he doing these days? Like that guy was like 
the Walmsley of the sport at one point. And now he's, I don't know what he's doing, but it's just, it's cool to think about. Yeah. Living his life in Juneau, Alaska, and probably not accepting opportunities to talk on podcasts. <laughs> I, I went to his blog and it's like a hotmail account and I just don't trust those email addresses anymore. So I don't, know, I don't know, maybe he still has like a landline or something, but anyways, so I do, and you mentioned event stuff and state of the sports stuff, and I want to make sure we cover all that later on in the conversation, but I still want to focus a little bit on your personal running background. And you mentioned that you're from Northeast Ohio and that you gradually made your way across the West to Montana. I was scrolling through your ultra sign up, especially during that period, like late 2000s, early 2010s, you had a ton of success in the sport at the most important races. And I'm curious, given that you came from an area of the country that I don't associate really with definitely not mountain ultra trail running. I'm curious what your formula was for achieving success in a rapid way in the sport. Hmm. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> I think that, Oh, I don't know. I, I, it's funny. We bring, we talk about lotteries and getting into lotteries and, and I just had a great stretch of getting into lotteries. I think I got into all the lotteries I ever applied for the first few years. So the reality is I got to at least show up to the start line at a lot of races, which at a point in time was hard to do and getting into Wasatch, getting into hard rock, getting into Western States, you know, in, in my early years of the sport. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks it's uh, maybe there is some beginner's luck and ignorance of having this mindset of you just go out and you do the thing and, and there's no pressure and low expectations, but also like a commitment to getting it done and having that balance of, yeah, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I think I spent an incredible amount of time in the mountains doing long backpacking trips, like month long backpacking trips and living that dirtbag lifestyle and living out of my car and camping out every summer and just like obsessing over time in the mountains every day, all day that I probably built up a huge aerobic base without really knowing what I was doing. And um, then converting that into competition really worked out. And then I, I do think early on in my career, I just had this, there was like never a time where DNFing or, or anything ever felt like it was even an option on the table. And I think I had an ability to make it through some tough races uh, due to stubbornness and <laughs> maybe a little tenacity at the time. And yeah, I think it's important to say it's a small niche sport and there it's grown a lot in the last 15 years or 10 years. And so I was lucky to get in at that time and really compete. And, you know, also I, I do want to say I had really good mentors, like early on in my career, I was able to run with people who had been in the game 10 years longer than me. And so I got to learn a lot from them. People just like local folks that nobody would know their names, but then also folks like Mike Wolf, who is a close friend of mine and somebody who was at the absolute top of their game when I was yes. coming into the sport. And, and, you know, you get out with somebody like Mike, who was the national champion, hundred mile and had course records at like Bighorn and done really well at, you know, Western States and all these big events and did really well. And then being able to run and do workouts with him on a really consistent basis gave me a lot of confidence. So knowing that I was in that caliber of athlete or, or whatever you want to call it was really helpful early on as well. 
there's this book by Steve house called training for the uphill athlete. And for listeners that haven't checked it out, please do, but you have a feature in it and you have this quote, durability is speed in the mountains, which for myself and a couple other friends who have read that book, it's become like a mantra for us here in the Wasatch, like a training philosophy. And I'm curious, is that what informed a lot of your training back in the day? I probably didn't realize it and probably couldn't say it so succinctly at the time, but yeah, we all know like consistency is like the golden, you know, or the holy grail of running and ultra running in the mountains. It's easier and easier to get beat up due to just so many variables. And I just, I really believe that, you know, durability is speed or durability is a proxy for speed, because if you can, I mean, we all can agree that ultra running is and ultra running events are races of attrition. And if you can be the person who slows down less or not get injured or be able to string together training, like hard training and big volume training and all the things that make this sport exciting, but also quite <laughs> that can beat us all up. I think that is the key to performing really well. And I just think of durability as another holy grail that you always want to be chasing. One thing I'm curious about, I was again, scrolling through your ultra sign up. I saw that you did UTMB back in 2011. And again, I think in 2012, great results, but I'm curious, like we now see UTMB as this great behemoth in our sport, culturally, probably the most important event worldwide. What was the scene like back then? And I'm curious, given that it probably wasn't in the American trail running imagination at that point yet did you like bring back some like new learnings about how big the sport could be given that it's all, you know, Europe's always been like a step ahead on all this stuff. Yeah. To say the least UTMB was very eye-opening. I remember it was before I landed any sort of sponsorships and working with like the North face and I sold t-shirts to raise money to buy a plane ticket to go over to Europe. And I slept on Mike, you know, we spoke about him earlier, but Mike Wolf's hotel room floor for my first trip to UTMB. And I was jet lagged and been there traveling for 20 plus hours. And I remember showing up the day that the PTL was taking off. So that's like the big yeah. 250 mile race that they put on and like hundreds of athletes are pouring out of Chamonix going on this, like, you know, six day journey and uh, the music's blaring and there's like thousands of spectators out cheering them on. And I remember I could have just jumped in that race in that very moment after 20 hours of travel and I, the amount of like adrenaline and excitement. And I mean, it was just, it was mind blowing. And there's a reason that athletes want to go over to Europe because the culture embraces and celebrates the sport, you know, at a level well above the United States. And it's really cool to see. And you want to experience that and you want to be a part of that. And I definitely took a lot away from that. I, I think it informed, um, you know, the way I wanted to train the, the, the way that people took the sport really seriously also, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but how to organize an event, you know, treat it yes. like it's a really big deal and people will come. <laughs> Don't, it doesn't have to be this low key backwards thing. It can be something to celebrate and to really, bring a ton of energy to. And I definitely took that away from my travels to Europe. I, I was going two or three times a year for four or five years at that point in my career. And yeah, I don't regret it at all. I loved it. And my gosh, I, I cannot wait to talk about the event space with you later in the conversation. But <clears throat> one more thing about UTMB, I just had 
Anton on the podcast a couple of days ago, and he shared this funny story that I think perfectly encapsulates how even just 10 years ago, there wasn't much public awareness about UTMB or the Europe scene in general. He's like, yeah, I think it was like, you know, 2009 and Carl Meltzer and Scott Jurek and all these other, you know, greats of the American scene went over there and they came back, totally got their butts kicked. And they're like, guys, there's this guy over in Europe. He's like way better than Kyle Skaggs. And they were talking about Killian. It's just funny that like, yeah, like even like 12 or 13 years ago, this was just totally out of our consciousness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's good. You had Tony on. He's He's got great insight into that experience as well. I think we spent some time over there at a few different events. That's awesome. Yeah. By the way, how did you get involved with the North Face? It seems like you've been with them for quite a bit now. And I'm curious, like what the beginnings of that looked like, like what the story is there. Yeah. I'm actually glad you asked because it's a funny story. Um, Well, they, I mean, it's a brand that I've respected for a long time in that space. And again, I feel like I keep bringing him up, but it's because it's part of my origin story. And he was a big part of it. It was Mike Wolf was running for the North face at the time. And he, we met down at hard rock in 2010. He was actually pacing a mutual friend of ours who ended up dropping out and I had a good race. And so he jumped in and paced me the last 10 miles of the race. And I just remember him being like, Oh, we got to get you on the North face team. It's going to be so cool. And he got me all puffed up and I was like, wow, that would be incredible to be like a sponsored athlete. And maybe I'd get a free pair of shoes. And he gave me like the contact information of the team athlete at the time. And I wrote her this like long email and she essentially wrote me this really short reply of like, oh, that's cute that you like to run, like, you know, have a good, have a good life. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh man, I guess this isn't for me. But then I, I had that trip over to UTMB and that was like the year that Scott Jurek and Jeff Rose and all these folks were over there and the U S men, as we often do, got our butts kicked over there. But I had for me at the time, a really good race. I was like the first American. I was just out of the top 10 and that same team manager emailed me that that next week and was like, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. (laughs) And it was like the beginning and, you know, we had a great, we ended up having a great chat and that was 10 years ago. So I've been with the team for a really long time now. And how has that relationship evolved? And, and yeah, what's it been like being a sponsored athlete in the sport for a decade now or more? Yeah, you know, it's been good. I've always really held it loosely. Like, I love being a part of that. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's amazing. I've also worked really hard to not have it be my sole identity. Like, I mean, doing events and doing other things has always been really important to me. And I've always felt weird telling people like if somebody asks me what I do, I always talk about the events I organize and things like that. I don't bring up being a, you know, quote unquote professional trail runner, but it's been great. Like it's grown over the years that were like, it's deepened over the years, that relationship. And, um, I, it's a great, it's like a good team of athletes. It's fun to have those relationships and be a part. I mean, the North face is a big machine and it's fun to work through like product design and you know all the things that, can be exciting to plug into that. And then the reality is I, it helped me have the resources to race more and go on adventures. And that's been a big part of that. Like, uh, I still remember way early on and well, that conversation with that team manager a decade ago, the reasons why she asked, why do you want to be a part of this brand? And I said, uh, you, you seem to really honor long-term relationships and develop long-term relationships with athletes, which I really respect. You don't just turn them and burn them. <laughs> um, and you really celebrate adventure and exploration outside of the, the race arena. And that's something I've always 
cared a lot about as well. Like I, I think competition is really fun and I've done a ton in the last 10 or 12 years, but I also like drawing new lines on the map and seeing where I can go and um, coming up with like creative routes that have nothing to do with competition. And sometimes even FKTs, like just, just go adventuring and, and they really support that. So it's been a really good fit for me and the things I like to do. This question might be like beyond the scope of our conversation, but given that you've been with the North face for so long and you're still there and presumably for a while, do you have a sense of how North face wants to position itself in the ultra running scene for years to come? Like, I know that they're an icon when it comes to just being an outdoor sports brand in general, and don't get me wrong. Like some of the marquee athletes in our sport here in the U S and abroad run for the brand, but given that, you know, Solomon is making a concerted push. Hoka is making a concerted push. Where does North Face see itself in that bunch and as a brand in the sport? Oh man, that's a great question. I hesitate to answer for the North Face because I feel like I I don't know if I have the perfect answer. I mean, I know the conversations that we have internally and where, I mean, I think the brand wants to, I assume a lot of brands want this, like a lot of brands want to speak to the serious dedicated ultra runner, but they also see the growth in the sport and they want to be open to the people coming into the sport, the beginners, the folks that might not feel as comfortable in the sport. And I mean, I got a feeling Solomon 10 years ago, you know, might, they probably want to find this balance of something that fits well for the, the really avid trail runner and serious trail runner, but also for all the people who are just tipping, dipping their toes into the sport for the first time. And I think a lot of brands probably have wanted that for a bunch of years because it just makes sense and it's good for the growth of the brand and it's good for the growth of the sport, but Mm. it's a fine balance, right? Like, are you diluting yourself by trying to be something for everybody? And, 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 but also like on the flip side, we all know that when a brand only focuses on the elite of the elite, it's, it's almost creates this like barrier of entry to, to people to feel like, Oh no, I can't run in Solomon. Cause that's only for Killian. And, and, you know, like Solomon quickly pivoted from like a lot of spandex a decade ago to things that fit a little bit more loose for the U S audience, the U S market. And I'm sure like, the, I'm sure the North Face has had kind of those types of things as well. But as we're talking about, gosh, it, I almost feel like you should find somebody in the brand that would be fun to talk to. And because your podcast and your conversations is all, are also on the business side of things. And I should probably not overreach and say something that's not in line, but no, that's that's, the that I've noticed, you know? No, that's, I, I totally appreciate that. And yeah, I, I want to say, I think Brett Rivers, for example, used to run SF Runco. I think he works on the shoe line or one of the shoe lines for the brand. Now you'd probably know better than me. And he does. Oh yeah. He's involved in all the footwear. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple other folks I think would be, it'd be great to really dive deeply into that about, but no, I appreciate that perspective. I do want to talk about, you mentioned that you've been in Missoula, Montana for a while now. And I think in other interviews, you have famously referred to it as a non-scene scene. And then also dropped maybe the most fascinating stat of all time, which is that uh, of any trail running town in America, it has the, the runners with the most UTMB podiums. So with all that said, what makes uh, Missoula, Montana, all of that and a great place to live and train? <laughs> I, I know I, I really look forward to being fact-checked on that latter uh, quote. <laughs> the, I mean, I'm just biased. I love it here. And I think it's a good sense of community and people are pretty welcoming and 
I look out my front door and I have like a lot of options for trails. I have steep trails, I have gradual trails. I can link together 50 mile runs. It's Montana, but winter fades in April. So we actually have good trail running earlier in the spring than you would in like Big Sky or even Bozeman. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I feel like there's this history of like pretty world-class trail runners living and training in this town. And it's just been great. I know that we're like known, like Missoula know, or folks know Missoula is a good trail running town, but I also feel like there's not this ego associated with it like amongst the people that live here and train here like the serious trail runners and and i just i don't know it's a pretty tight-knit community and lots of folks doing really cool things but not necessarily spraying about it too much which is i don't yeah that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing but i just something i notice and appreciate and yeah on the utmb side of things i just think it's funny. And, and I will say it's on the men's side, I think, as far as the podiums go. And yeah, what are the names? Who Who's on? Who are the podium guys? Oh, gosh. And and I will, I'll clarify. I think when you and I were speaking previously, I, I said also like top US finishes. So like okay, for example, gotcha. in 2022, which was a tough or 2021, which was a tough year for um, US men, like uh, Chris Brown lives here, a uh, Hoka athlete. And oh, he, really? he was top he was top american male in ccc seth swanson was top american male in tds yes and and so i'm like oh there's two more like two more from missoula and again like they didn't win the races but of all the u.s men they still came out ahead of some other u.s men and so there's that i've been on the podium a couple times just off the podium and first american male but off the podium one year mike wolf broke the seal and he was one of the first U.S. men to ever podium at UTMB. He was second in 2010 or 20, 2009. Only <laughs> Topher Gaylord, who had helped found the race, was the only U.S. man to have podium prior to that. Um, you know, Seth Swanson's had top finishes at UTMB, like fourth place. I don't know. Like, we're just this, like, hill town in Montana. I don't even really think of us as, like, a big, dramatic mountain town. But the training is really good here. We live at the same altitude as... Uh, uh, Chamonix and we have tons of long climbs and descents at similar grades to the trails at UTMB. And so I just feel like we can train really specifically here and stay out of the, yeah, I don't, for whatever reason, just seems to click. And I, I have a lot of pride in that, that people probably don't really notice that a lot of Missoulians end up doing really well over there, but it's something I've thought a lot about. I don't think I've ever said it out loud until I talked to you last week. So again, maybe I'll get fact-checked and maybe Black Staff has 30 more podiums than Missoula. But on the men's side in UTMB, they've been few and far between as a whole. So No, I know. Um, And honestly, the day that we get fact-checkers in trail running is the day we know this sport is truly mainstream. But uh, no, we, we asked this question a lot about like, you know, describe your trail running town and you made a pretty compelling pitch for Missoula. I think one other person mentioned that if they could go anywhere in the U S to go live and train, they'd choose Missoula. I'm curious if you can elaborate though, on what it means to be a non-scene scene. Oh, and probably just a little tongue in cheek about it. But again, I just feel like there's no pretension. There's no like, uh, some of the best trail runners in the country like can live here and they're not above anybody else or feel like they have to go do their own thing. There's a lot of like group runs that are pretty casual and people aren't trying to blow each other up. And yeah, um, again, I just feel like a lot of the strong trail runners that have come out of this town might not necessarily have a huge following or be really like over the top about 
sharing about how cool this place is or this or that, or yeah, it's just kind of, it's pretty relaxed, but yet people are pretty hard charging. And a lot of people plug into the community in a lot of cool ways. Like, again, like, I don't know, somebody like Adam Peterman, who's this up and coming trail runner and somebody I've had the opportunity to watch grow into this world-class trail runner, because I, I actually coached him in high school. Uh, you know, it's fun to see him now. And he's one of the best there. Like, I mean, he's put up some pretty incredible results in the last year, you know, with course records at Speedgo and almost getting the course record at JFK 50 and all these yeah. things. But like Adam does, he's just like this kind of relaxed guy and doesn't have any pretension about him. And he actually works, works for me in, in the events business. And he likes working a lot throughout the week too, because he doesn't just want to be training and he's like, people just seem to have good balance here and have multiple prior or multiple things that are a priority to them. And I really appreciate that. And that's not to say other approaches or styles or ways that folks talk about it is, you know, worse or anything like that. It's just, I happen to subscribe to um, that narrative of it's great to be plugged into a lot of different things and have that balance. I think, uh, just from a pure talent standpoint, it's always fun. Again, as a fan of the sport, it's fun to speculate on has, you know, has the next generation of trail runners arrived and if so, you know, who are they? I feel like Adam Peterman is a part of that quote unquote next generation. And from a talent standpoint, he's like the successor to Walmsley because he might be what, five or six years younger than him. And yeah, the the sport comes in waves. So it's just fun to think about. So that's awesome that you coached him in high school too. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. He's great. It's been fun to, fun to watch him over the years. And he went on to D one collegiate career and did really well at CU and Boulder and they had a national championship. And so, I mean, he very high pedigree. (laughs) Very cool. Well, we have been hinting at this for most of the conversation, but I finally want to get to it. And that is a discussion about the state of events and being a race organizer, race director in our sport. And maybe just to set the table for the rest of the conversation, you're the race director of the rut 50 K up in Montana. And for any folks who aren't familiar, could you just maybe give like an elevator pitch about that race and what inspired you to create it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the rut mountain runs, we're entering into our 10th year, believe it or not, it's up in big sky, Montana. Uh, you know, it's kind of came out of, we spoke about this earlier, but it, it, it came out of racing over in Europe for a few years and seeing the level of trail running and ultra running events over there and the type of resources that people put into it and the creativity, if you will, that they brought to finding really challenging courses and thinking, man, like, sure, we have a few kind of small events in the US that might have a good course and we might have some big events that have some big energy, but is there a way that we can bring this European flair back to Montana, but also have it mm. as like a kind of fun Montana event where it feels like you're in some rugged mountains that uh, feel a little bit more wild than perhaps the ones over in, in Europe or less traveled and uh, poked around Western Montana and landed on in Big Sky. And I remember having a conversation with them you know, as I, I had been event directing and race directing a handful of small events in, in, in and around Missoula for a few years at that point. And, uh, went and visited big sky and was speaking with like their marketing director. And I'm used to getting a forest service permit of 100 people or 200 people. And 
I remember asking them, I said, well, you know, how many folks do you think you'd let us have here at the race? And they said, well, we have about 6,000 capacity for 6,000 people. So <laughs> and I, my eyes got really big and I'm like, oh, I'm not used to that in trail running. Like that's, it actually like scared me. I was like, ah, I don't know if we want it to be that big, <laughs> but it's grown over the years. And what? 3,350 people signed up right now. It's a really unique scenario in that Big Sky owns the entire mountain as private property where this event is. So there's no forest service permit. So um, I'd say one of the successes of the route is just that we can actually have a large event and it's spread over a few days. We have multiple distances, but it's a large, it's one of the largest trail races in the country, participation wise and numbers wise. And so yeah, it's been a really fun ride. Like I said, we wanted to bring big energy to it, like what we saw over in Europe and really bring a ton of capacity, but we also wanted a really challenging course. So we drew our own lines around that mountain and it's incredibly rugged. And I think the course is what draws a lot of people. You go up and over Lone Peak, which is a really bucket list experience, just again, incredibly challenging and steep terrain. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also you get back to the base area and it's like this world-class resort and venue. And it's like a really good balance for people and for an event. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely turned into a big part of my life and something I'm really proud of. And I, I should say it's a big team. Like initially early on, Mike Wolf was helped found the event. He, uh, he's he's the core, he's been the course director now for a bunch of years, I co-own an event business here in Missoula with a guy named Anders who owns the running store, the runner's edge in Missoula. So we share the the actual event business. So it's definitely not just me by a long shot, but yeah, I mean, the, the ruts become my baby. And after a decade, it's just fun to keep trying to think of ways to make it a better event, make it more fun, make the experience for the runner, uh, you know, that much better. And yeah, we've, we've been met with a lot of, uh, good feedback and, and demand. And yeah, it sells out within a, an hour every year in January and the events on Labor Day weekend. So it's been really fun. Before we dive into some X's and O's type questions I have for you about being a race director, I just want to state for the record, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the podcast is because you see the sport through this lens of events, which I find absolutely fascinating because when we have all these conversations about how to grow the sport, or does it make sense to grow the sport? Or, you know, is that even a worthwhile endeavor? I think folks like you are probably the first people I would want to talk with. And so again, just want to state that for the record, but we were talking at the top of this conversation about local races here in the U S like Wasatch and how, you know, racing out in your backyard and, and just efforts towards localization are nice. And maybe the boomerang will come back here at some point, but meanwhile, there's still this allure of bigger races abroad. I'm rambling, but the question I, I really want to ask you is what are your thoughts on as a race director, all of the standardization and these formulas to get into bigger events and the allure of these bigger events? Like what's your take on all that? Do you think that's something that's going to exist in our sport for a while? Or do you think it's something that is like a blip on the radar and people are going to see through the veil and, and be frustrated with it. And they're going to want to return to simpler formulas and events. 
Oh man, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> I, I, and I assume you're speaking to like the build up into UTMB or the golden ticket series, you know, the, these stepping stone events into these larger kind of iconic events. Is that what you're speaking to? Yes. And then I would also just to add on to that, this other sort of conundrum where brands are taking over an entire series of events. And the only way to participate in the marquee stuff is to basically marry into their, you know, stable of events for years on end. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, (laughs) I think that, so we speak about this all the time internally on our team, like the rut does not associate today with any big series. We've been involved with Skyrunner in years past. We've had opportunities to join other series. It's a big part of these conversations. And again, I think it does take up a lot of oxygen in the space, but the sport has grown so rapidly. And there are so many people that don't like, it's hard to believe, but there are a lot of people that don't know what UTMB is. Like you and I would be flabbergasted, to meet that person, <laughs> but there's hordes of them, believe me. <laughs> and, and I'm in the scene, just like you are. Like I consume all, all this content and, and I just, I think about it all the time. Yet my business partner, Anders, who's so plugged into the running scene, but isn't like a big like personality in trail running and doesn't do ultras and comes at it from like road and track and like all these different ways of doing it. He's always like, listen, like we'll like next year in 2023, the rut will fall on the same weekend as UTMB and barring any catastrophe, the rut will sell out again. And regardless of being a part of a series or not. And he's like, yeah, maybe a hundred people from the U S go over to UTMB and there's a million trail runners. Like we need to keep it in perspective here and remember that all the trail running events are still selling out in the U S it's just how we talk about the energy around Western States or UTMB. And it's hard for me to think, I frankly, I have a hard time believing that I'm like, no, 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 nobody's going to believe that the rut happened this year. Cause it was on the same week as UTMB. And, um, and then every year, you know, it sells out immediately and people come and have a great time. And I get emails from folks saying it changed their lives and they can't wait to come back. And it's a family tradition and they propose to their wife at the finish line and all these great experiences. And so it's important for me to keep that perspective. I think that if an event is run well, that matters more than anything else. And it's really nice to be a part of a series. Like I'm not saying the rut won't be someday, but what I care about is that we give a really good experience to our runners. And if we joined if say a new series pops up next year and the rut has an opportunity to join it and we're all excited and we join it, that's great. And a small percentage of our runners will be excited and they'll notice. And a large percentage of our runners will come to the rut, have a great time and not care about the elite side of the sport or the, you know, if, if, if there, it gives them a ticket to another event. And there's just, there's like this silent majority that's just so excited to be at an event that might not care about the larger picture as much. And, Again, as somebody who consumes an insane amount of trail running and ultra running content, it's hard for me to put myself in that person's shoes, but it's, yeah, they're out there. I know I'm rambling a bit. No, 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 no. It's, and it's funny you say that, you know, with like the, from a content standpoint, I have a, I had a neighbor a year and a half ago who was also an avid trail runner. Like she was doing multiple local hundred milers a year. And I remember we just had a random conversation one day and I just assumed that she was in the same, like. I run far free trail era Viper running echo chamber that I was. 
And I'm right. like, oh, you know, Courtney DeWalter. And she's like, wait, who's Courtney DeWalter? And I'm like, wait, what? You can exist in this sport and not simultaneously be like reading our uh, quote unquote newspapers and stuff and keeping tabs on like, who's performing and whatnot. Like it just, it just blew my mind. So it's amazing. Yeah. Like you just said that there's a whole American scene that has no idea about UTMB. Your races are still selling out and like, you don't need to be paying attention to the who's who of the sport to be, I don't know, tapped in. Yeah. And I think that at least for me, I mean, we put on, on a given year, 12 to 15 events, most of them trail running races. And it's not to say that I'm like, oh yeah, like all of our events will sell out. I mean, some are more popular than others, but it's rare that we're having a conversation of like, oh, do we need to offer three UTMB points for this to get people to sign up? And I know that people do that and it would probably bump our registration a little bit, but yeah. I also just think, okay, I just really want folks to have a good time at this event. Like, is the course going to be marked well? Are we going to have good food at the aid stations? Am I going to communicate clearly in my newsletters prior to it? I mean, it's really boring stuff, but I think that we just need to prioritize that as event organizers, because I mean, I've, frankly, I've been to a lot of events and some do that really well and some don't. And it's a bummer when they don't, because you're, you know, you're investing in them and their business and their, and, and your experience. And you want people to, um, respect your time and, and resources in a way that, um, feels good. So, but yeah, I always have that race director lens on for better or for worse. It, it segues perfectly into this next question, because I also see race directors as, yeah, I'll use the term artists in many ways. And I'm curious if you pay attention to other race directors and you're noticing what they do and you're inspired to take bits and pieces of, of how they're running stuff and applying it to events like the rut. Oh gosh. Yes. Market research for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it's easy cause I'll go and run races and I just naturally will be at other events. But for example, my wife and I just traveled back to the Midwest and went to the American Birkebeiner, which is the biggest Nordic ski race in the country, 10,000 skiers. I mean, huge race. It's in Northern Wisconsin actually. And we, my wife's from the area. She does it every year with her family. It's this fun tradition, but I've never actually done the race, but it, because I enjoy cheering for her and, and just it being her weekend. But I mean, I, whenever I'm there, I'm just like scribbling notes into my phone because of all the great things they do. I mean, the event's been around for decades. It's one of the most well-run endurance events in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And it's this like Nordic ski race in the upper Midwest. And I'm constantly looking to see how they, what they say in their newsletters and how they, um, marshal their runners at a start line, you know, the efficiency of their, like, I was taking a video of their drop bag zone at the finish line and how well staffed it was <laughs> and how like organized it was. I was like, man, if we could be like that, that would be like a huge win for us. And it's like really boring to talk about a drop bag zone on a podcast, but that's where my brain goes <laughs> when I'm at other events. And, obviously in the trail running space I mean, there's a lot of really great companies out there. And, um, I think the folks at Aero Vapor are doing a great job. I look at Gary Robbins, what he's doing up yeah. in the mountain trail series in Vancouver, BC, Brandon Madigan, uh, who runs the broken arrow sky race. Like we're super close. I think the rut, uh, well, he'll say it out loud. Like the rut really inspired him to put on broken arrow. Mm. He actually even came to the rut prior to starting broken arrow years ago to see what the event was like. And he's just been unabashed. Like, yeah, man, you really inspired me. This is great. And it's fun. Like there's space for everybody. And I like, we, I would say broken arrow is probably one of the more similar events to the rut and has had a lot of success over the years and grown a lot. And 
Brennan and I talk shop pretty often because it's good to talk to somebody else who's in that space and see what they're doing. And I just wanted to say, you mentioned going to that cross country event. It's cool that you are going beyond the sport of trail running to seek out these like non-obvious sources of inspiration. Like it doesn't have to be in our sport. It could be in, in cross country skiing, or it could be at a music festival. It could be anywhere and you can pull bits and pieces back to the rut and your other races. But I think it's important. I mean, just one quick thing on that. I think it's important because the sport is growing and it's relatively young. Well, the sport itself isn't young, but as these events grow and, and get more popularity, I think it's important to look outside of the sports. We haven't necessarily done it well historically. Like I think I'd like to think there's a time when getting lost at an ultra race is uncommon versus common. <laughs> like I just, I'd like to, I mean, I feel like I see how other events are run and every sport has its own issues and ultra running's really has its own set of issues, but I think we can always be growing and doing better and, and pulling in how other events are run from sports that have been around a little bit longer. Are there any innovations you see in the event space that might be coming down the road five to 10 years from now? Like I know that one of the hot topics, for example, is the live coverage of races. And I know that Aravipa's made a concerted effort in this space. And I know Brendan has done the same thing at Broken Arrow and in Western States is trying to do it too. Maybe we can touch on that, but like, yeah, generally, do you think about where like the rut, for example, will be and how it will be looking different five or 10 years from now? Oh man. Yeah. I think some of these like bigger events that do have more resources. Cause I mean, the reality is so many events are just, you know, pretty small and, and might not have the resources to do something like live streaming. But yeah, on that front end, I was going to say like runner tracking, live streaming, the types of things where like you can follow your runner, you can see how the race is playing out everything from everybody at hard rock getting GPS to yeah. What broken arrow did and their partnership with Strava that really put a lot of resources behind, you know, highlighting, I think they're DK and 26 K. And I see that side of the sport growing and the storytelling around that. I was going to say something else. I think like, like a lot of events, it's like, where does it go? Do they, do you continue to add like, an, do you keep adding new distances? Do you add like new layers to the event. Like we've spoken with, you know, wilderness medicine conferences to like, do we partner up on something? Like, I like, do you build out these events in a way as they're like music and all these other things, but I, I don't know, like for me, it, I keep going back to like, just wanting to make sure like the, the trail running side's going well. I, I guess I'll turn that question. I bet you've thought about this hundred times more than I have. And I bet you have a lot of answers. My first question will be, do you think that live streaming is the wave of the future? Cause I wonder, cause I, I think that we're going to continue to put more resources into it, but I'd be curious if you think that it's a good use of time and money to do live streaming for trail running events. And if there's other things out there, you think are coming down the pipeline. A couple things come to mind. I think the first thing I'll say, and I appreciate you asking me this question. The first thing I'll say is I don't think anybody in our sport should be making assumptions about the entertainment value of ultra running. I think that if you go to YouTube and you look at channels that have hundreds of thousands and millions of subscribers, they can be for things that you wouldn't in your wildest dreams have believed <laughs> were watchable. And so that's the first thing. I think that our problem in our sport from like a viewership standpoint and creating fans around event standpoint 
it all just comes down to just being creative about the resources that we have. And I think one thing I think about with live streams is the technology will improve, the internet connections will get better, all of that good stuff. But as that improves, you mentioned it, storytelling, what can we intersperse in the coverage to give you know a commentator like Dylan Bowman or Corinne Malcolm a break? Can we bring in footage from key runners in the race if their brand has captured you know, training or uh, B races and C races in prep to this event? Can we bring in like snippets of video montages from that? Can we basically create content ahead of time around the event to layer on top of that live coverage so that the fan has different viewing and listening experiences as they're engaging? I think that'll probably be the next big thing in my opinion, because the Tour de France does this pretty well. My understanding is that they are constantly storytelling through that event and they're always taking breaks from the coverage to bring in some story about an athlete or two. And I think that might be the, the initial play. But I hear a ton of people say like, our sport is boring to follow. It's boring to watch. And there's a YouTube channel about like dominoes and it just like, I've watched a video and like, I'm not a fan of dominoes. So, you know, it's not that exciting, but the viewership on it, the engagement on the video is like near hundred percent completion rates. So it comes down to like, we probably just haven't put our full thought towards like the entertainment value yet. And anyways, so I have a lot of thoughts. Those are like the initial ones. And yeah. I appreciate that. And as you say that I'm sold, like it makes a lot of sense. I, I think anybody who's followed other sports or been around trail running, even for a brief amount of time and see it, seen its growth and seen its trajectory and seen the exponential increase in resources brought into the space. It, it only makes sense that that type of leveling up of content and production is coming down the pipeline for some of the marquee events. That makes total sense to me. One other thing I'll say, and just as a fan, I do think that the model that you have deployed and that Brendan has followed up with this festival-like format where the event stretches over the course of you know four to five days, I think that that is probably the most directionally correct path that event organizers should follow. Like to me, it's kind of sad that that most races, it's like a one and done thing. Like you're scrambling to get there on a Friday night for a 3 a.m. race start. And then you're hopping a flight to leave like Saturday night or Sunday morning back home. Like, I do think that there's a lot to be said about this immersive, like multi-day long experience where you're not just racing, but you're, you're having this chance to convene with fellow members of the community. Like our, our sport is so incredibly isolating in so many ways. And races are one of those few opportunities to like recognize that, yes, there is a community. And I just think that what you're doing, because I want to make sure I'm stating positives right now, too. I think that what you're doing is probably the best possible format for our sport right now. Mm, I love how you said that. It's an extremely isolating sport and the events are an opportunity to come together. And of course, like people want to do well and they want to have a PR, win a race, complete a race, whatever. But it's funny, like so often it's, you're talking about the things you're doing with people and the people you've met along the way and the experiences you've shared. And I'm a huge proponent of that. I'm, I'm really community heavy in that regard. And I think about the rut, like even the elite athletes, like they come out and they do, uh, say the rut 28 K on Saturday, that afternoon, we have a kid's run and every elite athlete that we have at the event, we, we invite them to volunteer at the kid's run to help as course marshals or helping out with the awards at the finish. And they all come out that day and they have this like great experience. Cause they're still there hanging out. And we like 
I, I, and then like we have hundreds of spectators, like we've, we're really, we really push spectating at the event because we want the runners to feel like it's a lot of energy and we'll have hundreds of people go up to some of our aid stations, which as we all know, an ultra running feels like yes. a lot because <laughs> we have the actual numbers because we know how many like lift tickets get used to get to these certain spots. And so like, we can actually, we have metrics behind it and we track it and like, oh yeah, 500 people over the course of the day went to that one aid station. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. And so, um, just to get to your point, like it is great. It's great when people can stick around and so many people that volunteer at our event are also running the event and they run one day, they volunteer another day, or they spectate one day, they race the next day. I mean, there's something to be said about having the time to do that. So one of my lifelong dreams, and I'm using the podcast as an outlet for it is to create another hundred mile race in the Wasatch, but specifically in the central Wasatch with a start and finish on main street in park city, because don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the Wasatch 100. And I, I love that course in many ways, but I want a race similar to Jared Campbell's Millwood 100, which is not an official thing, but a race that uh, explores Big Cottonwood Canyon and Little Cottonwood Canyon and Mill Creek, basically all the canyons in the central Wasatch. So anyways, all I'm saying is being a race director kind of appeals to me in some ways. And A, I'm curious, uh, do you think that this space is saturated? Is there enough room for additional events in our sport? And then B, just from your experience, like what are the skills that are required to be a good race director. <laughs> uh, carrying heavy things and being really good at responding to emails. <laughs> it's you want to talk about also isolating as race directing because you just sit behind a computer a lot of the time thinking up some experience and then you have one day where you get to go hang out with people. Um, no, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but I think, oh man, the whole saturated thing is always interesting to me because we keep, the sport does keep growing, the events, the number of events keeps growing. Some are successful, some are not. I feel like if you can get out in front of the trajectory of the sport, maybe you can offer something that's slightly different. Um, I, you know, yeah, I mean, you put a hundred miler on and central Wasatch depends on what you want. Do you want hundred people to do it? Do you want 400 people to do it? I, I would keep going back to, if you can create an experience that's better or more memorable than a lot of the other events out there, or the type of train you're able to get into, or the, just the professionalism of the event is just so high quality that it becomes something people talk about, tell their friends and come back to year after year. I think you can shoehorn your way into the sport still for sure. I've seen a lot of races come and go in the last 10 years. And I think that because the sport is growing and changing and new people are coming into it all the time. I mean, um, absolutely. I think there's space for more things because what was popular this year might fade in two or three years from now, if it's not managed well, and if it doesn't still yeah, resonate with the community. Yeah what does the skill set of a race director look like? Like what's required to be good at your job and to execute and to provide like a great event experience? Yeah. I think you have to have creativity on the front end and like vision to think like, wow, this could be a really cool event. And the curiosity to just like pour over maps and figuring out permitting systems and, and just think like, wow, would this be a good experience for people? And then from there it goes into like, 
kind of being detail oriented and knowing how to follow through on things and follow up on things. And, you know, you're just a project manager and you're dealing with a lot of logistics, but then you also have to like learn how to market and learn how to do websites and be quick on that and keep a good uh, calendar of like when you want to order all your things, your awards and your shirts. And then finally how to manage all your relationships commute. You got to be a good communicator with your participants, but also your sponsors and your partners and the venue. And it's a Jack of all trades job by a long shot. And I think for sure, somebody could just like somebody with like good organizational skills could just come into the sport and do much better than I could at some level. But I think it's great if you know the sport and you know, what gets people excited and you know what people want, you know, what's out there and and what space might still have space to fill something into or have like the rut was a good example of an event that I thought might have a couple hundred people. And then like, but I also liked, like, I wanted it to be a big event. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't have the confidence that it would be. And I just felt like, Oh man, like this is what's missing in the U S at the time. And uh, like it really paid off because it has grown into this really, really large event, which has been so fun. But I think you need to have your finger on the pulse of the sport as well in order to do it well. So I said a lot of things it's again, going back to, it's a wide variety of skill sets to do it well, but being able to marry just like the vision and creativity with the like follow through of like knowing how to hound and really boring, unsexy stuff. Like if you can't do both, it's hard to get the race off the ground. You talked about vision there for a second and the rut has become an incredibly popular event here. Everyone knows about it, at least in the mountain West, West coast. But one thing I'm curious about, maybe you have at least an opinion on it. How come sky running hasn't taken off in the U S like it has in Europe? Like I know there was an attempt maybe five or six years ago to have a U.S. sky running series. I loosely followed the website and the races involved. Maybe the rut was even a part of it at some point. I'm curious yeah, why you think that brand of trail running and mountain running just hasn't gained traction yet here. Yeah. I, I First, I'll just say, I think sky running has an incredible legacy on the sport. I think the ethos of sky running is alive and strong in the U S and Europe and abroad, like people like technical trail running and big mountains and exposed ridges and all the things that make it exciting. I think that so we were for a few years, a part of the world series event, like the world series level with the event. And yeah, I don't know. I think that so many players have come into the sport. I think that Solomon divested from sky running and started golden trail series. I mean, that alone was an, an, was a huge factor in sky running, maybe not being as prominent today, but also in the U S I just, I don't know. I mean, the U S is, is an interesting market. I think that Europe, like we all say, Oh, Europe's so amazing this and that. But I think that even UTMB and all these other big brands from Europe are still trying to unlock the U S market in a way. (laughs) And I think they're doing it bit by bit, but it is just slightly different for whatever reason. And, and so going back to sky running, I, I don't know, like I appreciate the history of that brand and I don't know where their strengths are right now. And I think with the sport being 
like more crowded and this consolidation around UTMB events and Golden Trail Series taking a big slice of that market. I don't know. It seems like they'd have to get another big brand partner on that's going to bring their athletes because everybody's sending their athletes to like their own series, which we spoke about briefly earlier. And and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the sport of the of or with trail running in that regard and how everybody's creating their own world championships. And it's interesting to spectate. And I'm definitely curious to see how it shakes out. And I think we have some volatility ahead of us. And at the same time, I'm, I'll, I want to say it out loud. I don't necessarily think that trail running needs to live under one governing body and become standardized. I like the autonomy of the sport and the fact that it's a little, um, decentralized at least today like I appreciate that and I think that I've always been the type of person that goes to an event for the experience of that event which often has to do with the course sometimes it's cultural sometimes it's location sometimes it's the history of the race you know I think that's great and I don't know if I need it to be incredibly standardized or all under one umbrella to have that experience and that really positive experience I like that I can go to a race like UTMB and also go to a race like Bighorn 100 in Sheridan, Wyoming, and have a great experience at both events yes. uh, or hard rock for that matter, which though it gains, it has a lot of attention on it still has a very relaxed feel. And, you know, I've dabbled uh, a bit in ski mountaineer racing and, you know, that's a really standardized and it lives under, you know, the, international ski mountaineering federation and and everything's very regulated and there's all these rules and you know that's cool as well but also some days i like when i was like deep in that sport and racing a lot at an international level i was like man i miss like the fly by the seat of your pants nature of trail running (laughs) events we probably have a few mutual friends on the solomon north american trail running team and my understanding with those folks is they're being strongly incentivized to participate in Solomon's North American series, which includes, I think, Broken Arrow, I want to say Flagstaff, Sky Peaks, that Quebec mega trail race. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how much traction that gets. But then again, it's also such a bummer to me that that whole series is under the ownership of one particular brand. And, you know, part of me worries, is that just going to incentivize like Solomon only athletes from a competitive side to, to go there and participate? And anyways, I just wanted to say that too, but no all your points well taken. Um, yeah, maybe we should go to the schema scene here because you have a big role to play in that space too here. I know we've talked a lot in this conversation about how in many ways we're playing catch up with Europe when it comes to trail running, but I feel like it's maybe even more severely so, uh, on the schema scene. And I know that schema is going to be an Olympic sport in 2026 and we'll have American athletes there. And I don't know. What's it going to take for us to be competitive at that event in 2026? Like yeah, how far behind is our scene compared to Europe right now? And the Americans were so tenacious though. I think it's going to grow quick. I, I mean, just the level of support for athletes is probably what it's going to take Finn. Like, uh, I'm just trying to do this as succinctly as possible. Like in the, in Europe, the sport has a longer history. There's that. But then also like the majority of the best athletes in the world, like the Italians, the Swiss, you know, there's many of them are full-time athletes under a military contract. So they Mm. they work for the French military, they work for the Italian military, but their job is to be an athlete and they have all the resources available to them. 
they live in Western Europe where all the races are, and it's just, it's so accessible and they've been doing it for decades and just the culture supports it. And in the U S you know, you have a part-time job, you have a full-time job, you have to go find your ski area to go skin up and early in the morning before you get kicked off because a lot of ski areas don't, yeah. don't yeah. Even like allow it. Like in, like here in Missoula, like I was training at our local ski hill and I had to be off the ski run before the lift opened every day at like 8am. And so that meant a lot of 5am starts and always skiing in the dark. And, you know, it's like all these, and, and then you'd go over to Europe and it's just a different scene. And so I think it's access to good training consistently without having to play a cat and mouse game with the ski area. It's resources from brands or I don't know, like maybe the U S Olympic committee, or I'm not so sure. I like, I don't know how they would do it, but with the Olympics on the horizon, it does change the conversation a lot. And I am seeing more people enter the sport than ever, which is really fun. I mean, even the events I put on here in the winter, it's just growing quickly and it's really exciting. And so it needs to be a numbers game, like just like any sport, like right now we're seeing this this transition from only serious athletes to more of a larger participation and not everybody's as serious about it, which is Amateurs, a good, yeah. cause it, it ends up making the, you know, the more numbers, as we all know, the more numbers you can have in the base, the, the more people we're going to be able to lift up on the front end of the, like the sharp end of the sport to do really well. And so um, more people entering into the sports, a really good thing, but, uh, yeah, access and resources. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple and yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I know I'm, I'm seeing change already, but these things do take time and we have some outliers. We have some great athletes, a few men and a few women that can compete on that international level, but, um, nowhere near as deep as France, Italy, Spain, um, Switzerland and some of those Western European countries. You mentioned that a lot of those Euro athletes can integrate with the military and they can get funding through that. And it's just like a relatively comfortable lifestyle surrounding their training. I don't know the answer and maybe you do, but maybe I got to research this after the fact, I would be curious to know why that's not an option for American athletes and what it's going to take for that to be at least an opportunity, because that seems like such a competitive advantage given all the stories we've read about how little money and how little financial compensation support any Olympic athlete gets in our system. So I don't know, maybe that's for another episode for their exploration, but that's fascinating to me for sure. And then of course I would love to see ultra running in the Olympics one day, like a hundred mile mountain ultra trail running event. But again, another episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole can of worms. I, I, yeah, I'd be curious to know what people feel about that. Something I haven't thought a whole lot, lot about, and also just curious if the Olympics would ever even be interested in such a sport. Well, but, the one, the one thing I will say before we go to the lightning round here is my understanding is that if whoever the host city is for the Olympics, their like planning committee. Again, I'm going to butcher the facts here, but like their planning committee has some sort of power to test a sport in that particular Olympic games. So I know Salt Lake city, for example, might get the bid in 2030 or 2034. And it'd be fun to run a little mini campaign to put it in the winter Olympics and have it run across like the Bonneville shoreline trail or one of our lower <laughs> elevation <laughs> foothills here. Totally. Anyways, I'm, I'm just dreaming and speculating, but dude, this, this, dude, I, Hey, I really appreciate all your time. This has been such an awesome conversation. Let's do the lightning round here. First question. Are you training for anything running related in 2022 right now? 
Yes. Yeah. I'm coming out of a couple year down, down cycle. 2020 was uh, a down year due to pandemic and just not, not racing and just like hanging close to home. But then last year I dealt with uh, just pretty bad patellofemoral pain, which I'm still working through, but have mm. a ton more capacity today than I, you know, honestly thought I would after months and months of dealing with it. And so yeah, I've got some, I've got some fun goals on the trajectory. I'm signed up for TDS at UTMB this year for a couple of reasons. One, that's how many points I had so I could get into it. Um, two, it's earlier in the week and I've got to get back and put on the rut when I get home. So it's, it gives me a few more days to transition back to Montana, yes. um, but it would be my first time back in at the UTMB event in a long time, which is exciting for me because I did it four years in a row, 2011 through 14. So a long time ago now, but do still love going over there. And obviously like the whole North face team has a good presence over there. And there's a lot of folks excited to go. Yeah. I'm running the, uh, another North face event at Lake Sonoma, uh, marathon here coming up soon, just as a kind of tune up race. And yeah, my summer, I'm still figuring out. I'm, I gotta tell you, Finn, after a couple of years of not racing, I definitely want to find, and I've always been this way, but I like finding a balance between either FKTs or just fun adventures and racing. So if I only sprinkle my entire year with a few events, that's totally fine by me. And especially if I can layer on two or three personal projects and I've got a few things in the works right now, but yeah, hopefully I can put a couple ideas together for uh, late fall as well that I'm scheming here in Western Montana. So yeah, in general, yes, I am trading for things. What is a recent book, movie, or podcast you have consumed that has left an impression on the way you see or think about the world and why? I am <laughs> reading a lot of uh, <clears throat> Buddhist texts lately, <laughs> and I'm just really appreciating the uh, I, I don't know I think that the world can be hard and it's important to have emotional and mental stability amidst all the things coming at us anymore and I'm just finding some really good teachings from authors like Pema Chodron and I'm currently reading in my own words by the Dalai Lama so I'm reading a lot of that also have you heard of the book The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker no I think it's just been out in the last year or two, but I just read that and really appreciated it and essentially just does a deep dive into why we gather as humans and how to bring intention and purpose to it and what it means to be a generous host, you know, and that doesn't mean just being somebody who gives a lot of things or is overly nice. It's about having good boundaries and knowing who to invite and, and who you're talking to and how to make their experience better. And it's great. It's good. If you want to have a dinner party, it's good. If you just want to have good conversations with friends, it's good. If you're a race director or an event organizer, because it helps you to just look at things in a different light. And I really appreciated it. We're actually I'm part of a little book club and it's our book club book. So I'm excited to talk about it because it's just made me think about how we come together as people and, and how to make experiences more rich by bringing a little intention towards it and not always just getting together to get together and have some purpose behind it. And yeah, it's good. And I mean, we're all gathering more these days, hopefully as we come out of a pandemic and it's nice to just have a 
this fresh on my mind. Is there anything you used to believe strongly? It could be in the world of trail running or outside of it that you have recently changed your mind about? And if so, why? (laughs) Not in the ultra running space. This has been on my mind a lot. I used to take a lot of pride in being a really cynical person. I thought it like made me like be like, it's in my, it's in my genes. Like my dad was a really cynical guy and would take pride in being like this cynic who thought he knew better about something. And I used to think it was a really big strength and I'm realizing that it's definitely a weakness (laughs) and and I'm working hard to rewire my brain to not bring cynicism into equation so much because it's not helpful. And that's like some of my own inner work, but I think, yeah, cynicism as the strength and no longer believing that. Mm. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Go slow to go fast. Mike, I cannot thank you enough for all your time. I felt like we had the opportunity to go deep on the event space, on state of the sport type stuff, schemo, your background. I think listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Before we go, if folks want to follow you on social media or if they want to check out your events in more detail or any projects you're doing, how can they do that? Yeah, I guess the one space I exist online anymore is Instagram. Mike Foot MT is my uh, handle. And yeah, a mixture of trail running and skiing and event content, usually some philosophical musings from time to time. Yeah. And yeah, come check out some of our events in Western Montana. The route's a good one. We just launched a relay race in Big Sky as well called the Herd Relays, these three person teams race. So trying to bring some new, new energy to, to that. And yeah, we're always trying to keep it fun and keep it interesting and and grow that. So, uh, hopefully folks agree and can come enjoy it. Well, we're lucky to have you in the sport and I mean that, and hopefully we can have you on the podcast again, somewhere down the line, but until then have a good one. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. This has been fun. Hey, thanks for listening. A few things before we sign off. First, if you have emailed me in the last few weeks, I received it and I apologize for the radio silence. I have made it a focus of the next couple days to get better at follow-up. I cannot tell you how much it gets me stoked to hear your thoughts on the pod and ideas for our sport. Replies are coming, I promise. Second, if the uh, rut mountain races are not on your radar yet, go check out the event site. Mike is obviously a baller race director and the course is sweet. It will be on my calendar soon for sure. Lastly, I am curious to get your take on how we can make ultra running more interesting from a viewership standpoint. What can we add to the live coverage, the lead up, the post event stuff? Let me know. Seriously, if you've got ideas, shoot me an email, finnmelanson at gmail.com. That's F-I-N-N-M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N at gmail.com. I'll take a look at them. I'll talk about them on the pod, on social and future episodes, all that stuff. Seriously. Other than that, just the usual request, please share this episode on social and leave a rating and review in your podcast player. Until next time, I am your host, Finn Melanson. This is the Single Track Podcast. 